I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Reading this text reminded me of a sort of a party planning tip I read years and years ago. This party planner said the idea was that you should have a project or a task so that the first person to arrive at the party, you could assign this task. And it's not just to get the work done, but that way you involve them in planning and preparing for the party. They become very involved immediately, and subsequently as others begin to arrive, they draw them in well, and the flow of your party goes marvelously. That was the tip. Invite the first to arrive to go to work. Well, I thought of that because as I was reading Paul's letter to the Philippians here, it made me think he's doing the same kind of thing. He's writing back to these early Christians that he's organized and revealed to them what God is doing in Jesus. They have become followers, and now he's trying to engage them in the work. He's putting them to work. Because Paul believes God is still at work in their lives. Not only did God do something special for them in drawing them into the family of Christ, but God is still working. And Paul wants those folks to think and wants us to think that we can expect God to do more among us. Paul believes that there's potential that God has in us that God wants to draw out of us, and it's yet to be fulfilled. So we need to pay attention to see what God is up to and how God is at work. Listen again to verse 6 as we've read it earlier. Paul says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. The one who began the work among you or in you is God. And Paul is saying that same God is still at work in our lives today. This same God is at work in your life today. The season of Advent, this season of preparation before Christmas, invites us to look at our expectations of our lives and how we live them and how God is involved in them. And Paul's inviting us to add to that list of expectations the fact that God can and will do more among us. You may have heard the story about these two teenage boys that were out exploring caves one day. 
They were going from place to place. At one point, they saw some footprints in the mud. They weren't sure what kind of prints they were, but as they followed them, they led toward a particular cave. And one of the boys says, My, those are big enough. Those might be bear tracks. And the other fellow said, Oh, my, that would be exciting. What if we found a bear? And in their youthful enthusiasm, they went on into the cave. And as they go further into the cave, it gets darker and darker. But their eyes are attuned to any movement. They're listening for any auditory indication that there might be something else alive in the cave. Finally, they're about to give up. They can just barely see. And then all of a sudden, from behind a rock, this huge bear rears up and begins to roar like a lion and beat on its chest. They are so stunned, they hardly know what to do. But when they can figure out that they should jump and run, they turn and take a mad dash off toward the front of the cave. As soon as they hit daylight, one boy goes to the ground. His buddy's yelling, come on, come on, we have to outrun this bear. And the boy that fell is pulling off his boots and putting on his tennis shoes. And as soon as he finishes, he jumps up, and as he runs past his friends, he says, we don't have to outrun the bear. All I have to do is outrun you. right one boy thought that they were in that together the other boy was out for himself sometimes that happens even in the church where somebody right next to you or across the table from you whom you assume is on the same team and that we're all working for the common good has a difference of opinion with you and all of a sudden they turn on you and you become bear bait. They're out for themselves. They're going to be right. They're going to win the discussion. They're going to prevail. They would say, oh, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Just get used to it. Has that ever happened to you? In the church or other places? When it happens in the church, it always surprises me. The notion of unity in Christ has totally evaporated at that point. Anytime we're out only for ourselves, we have lost that sense of what it means to be a part of the community of Christ. And you know what? Life in the church is supposed to be different. It is supposed to be different than life anywhere else. We're supposed to see each other as brothers and sisters in this family. The Bible says that the attitude should be when anytime one suffers, we all suffer. Anytime one rejoices, we all rejoice because we're all a part of the body of Christ. We're to understand ourselves as part of the team, that we are unified, as Paul said, because we all share in God's grace. We've all been invited into this family through Jesus Christ. A little bit later in the service, I will read to you the prayer of consecration just before we participate in communion. It talks about and asks God through the Holy Spirit to make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. We're to be a unified force of love as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul feels that connection, even though he's separated from these Christians at Philippi. 
that he's writing to, he longs to be with them. He says he loves them, and they bring joy to him every time he thinks about them. And then in verse 7, he writes this, It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me. We find throughout the Christian scriptures, we find that there's this deep understanding that we move forward best when we move forward together. That when we recognize the unity, there is a synergy through which God works for the good of the world. As Paul is writing these early Christians of Philippi all about this, he breaks into prayer. You remember he did that in our reading last week as well. He does it again this week in verse 9. He writes, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. Paul's praying that those early Christians are so filled with God's spirit and God's love that they have insight and knowledge and are able to determine the way forward. What's the best way to go? How do we move forward on this? A combination of love, knowledge, and spiritual insight leads us to knowing what is best. That's what Paul is saying in his letter. Now, many of us have experience with that in terms of our own individual lives where we come to a decision point or a crossroads and we pray for God to lead us, to show us the way, to open the door, to help us know which path is best to take. I have done that often in my life. And sometimes I feel like God's made it crystal clear that this is the way to go. Other times I've prayed for that and it's not quite as clear or tidy as I wish that it might be. I'm not sure which way to go. I'm hoping God will make it clear, but I'm not sure. I don't have a sense of that. It's even more difficult when we do that in a group. Now, not many of us have experience trying to discern God's will in a group, but our scriptures talk about the importance of that. I've heard some companies led by Christians do that. I've heard some churches practice that in their life together. I've not had much experience with that. I haven't been in many churches who try to discern how is God leading us forward. But it is a remarkable process for a small group of Christians to work together to make a decision or discern God's will, particularly if there's no clear positive answer or there's a conflict among the group about which way to go. But it's remarkable when we continue to do that work with a commitment to unity and love. There was a time I had a great experience with that. I was in a church that had a preschool. It was a quality preschool. They did wonderful work with children. I was so glad we had the preschool. But after I worked with that church for a while, I realized at the end of every year, their budget was fouled up. They were always thousands of dollars in the hole. And they were looking to the church. Now, the church already provided the facility and paid for all the utilities, hired the director. All they were supposed to cover were the teacher's salaries. But they weren't able to make that work. So some began to say, we're going to have to close this preschool. It's not fair to continually draw money from other mission and ministry enterprises because they don't manage their affairs right. And yet we wanted to keep the preschool open as a service to the community and a place where children could come and be loved. 
So I suggested before we made the decision to close that we ask ourselves this question. I put it in your outline. What is God's vision for us in this matter? And we had a leadership team that said they would consider that for a while. They began to do some more research. They had a series of meetings. They continued to engage in prayer. And after a few weeks, we came to a place, an idea that none of us had had before. The idea was to buy another preschool. That was kind of counterintuitive to spend more money to try to fix a problem that was a financial problem where we thought we were already spending too much money. But our analysis indicated that if we could bring more children in, if we could combine with another school and reach more children, we could get to a place where there would be positive cash flow. And so we ended up doing just that. After we talked about it as a whole committee, we found another preschool and we purchased the preschool and the name and actually ended up hiring the director, the owner of that preschool to be our director. And you know what happened? We went from loving 50 children a year in our preschool to loving over 100 a year. And even including the buyout price, we ended up with positive cash flow the first year, the second year, and year after year, we were able to continue to reach out to the community to love children through that preschool and yet make good stewardship decisions in the process. But it took some time. It took some prayer. It took some research. Advent is this season that invites us to listen more attentively to God, to wait more patiently for God to work in our lives, to follow more closely what God might want to do through us in the world. We do that out of a belief that God is still working and we can expect God to do more among us. Advent invites us to wait and watch. My brother-in-law is a pastor. His name is Phil Ball. He's writing to his congregation this last week and he quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You remember Bonhoeffer was the leader of the resistance movement in Nazi Germany. He was a pastor. Finally, he ended up dying at the hands of the Nazis. But we have lots of his writings. And he's written about waiting. And he has this marvelous image about fruit ripening that I think can really help us. This is what he wrote. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it has hardly finished planting the shoot. But all too often, the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that seemed so precious is still green on the inside. And disrespected hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. Paul wants to be with those whom he loves in Philippi. But he is in prison and cannot go. So in the meantime, he is watching and waiting and praying. Hear those first three verses again. Paul writes, I thank my God 
Every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will surely bring it to completion. Let us join Paul with confidence as we wait and pray and expect that God is working among us so that our love may overflow during this Advent season. Amen. Thanks be.